I get it? Exodus chapter 5. We're going to look at Exodus 5. I want to read verses 29 through 31 of Exodus 4, which is where we ended a couple of weeks ago, and then we'll work our way through the fifth chapter together. Let's pray, and we'll start. Lord, thank you for this book, and thank you for the great Exodus. the great leading out of your people from this life to the next one. For a salvation obtained by a bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And pictured and predicted in this book thousands of years ago. I pray that we would understand it. I pray that you would help me to teach it faithfully and fully and that you would shape our lives through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, just because, and especially because it's been a couple of weeks since we've been out. Exodus is a book that describes an exodus, a departure. It is the departure of the nation of Israel from the land of Egypt where they will have been held in bondage as predicted by God, Genesis 15. And God brought them into bondage so that he could bring them out of bondage. And the first 18 chapters of the book approximately deal with Redemption and all that is involved in redemption, including obstacles and objections to it. Um, That is deliverance. We identified the first third of the book as deliverance. Then we move into demand. This is another familiar section in the book of Exodus, the law. And we pointed out it is worthy always of understanding that God did not put the law first. He did not demand things of people so that they would be delivered them. He delivered people and then began to instruct them in how to live. And the twin purposes of that are brought to bear in the last section of the book, dwelling. It is God's desire to live with these people, just like it is God's desire to live with us. But they must be a delivered people, and they must be a people who keep God's demands, or dwelling with him is jeopardized, and that comes out in the third segment of the book. So we are still very early in that part of the book that deals with Deliverance, And we saw in Exodus 1 the circumstances that had brought Israel into bondage. We saw the rise of the deliverer in Exodus chapter 2 and his call and his resistance to that call and the way that God dealt with him in chapter 4 so that Moses finally submits himself to God's command and undertakes the task of going back from where he was living 
to live to to redeem these people, to be the one who leads them out. And so we find then in verse number 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. Huge sigh of relief. Let's mop our brows. When they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped, and it just couldn't have been any better than that. You couldn't have asked for more. All that Moses had feared, or much of what Moses had feared, much of what Moses had argued, they will not believe me, they will not listen to me, they will not accept me, has evaporated as Moses and Aaron recite what God has done and what God has said, and the people go, praise the Lord, a deliverer has come, and we are just absolutely gushing with warm fuzzies. And now the only thing to do is to go and tell Pharaoh that we need a vacation. How bad can this be? I can't help wonder if somewhere between verse 31 of chapter 4 and verse 1 of chapter 5, if Moses remembered that God said to him, Pharaoh's not going to like this. My guess is that if Moses was totally human, and he was, he kept having that nagging thought that we all get when things appear to be going too smoothly. Chapter 5 is the first time that Moses and Pharaoh come together in this scenario. I mean, Moses, just a little bit of review, Moses had been raised in this household. Although he was an Israelite, he had been raised as an Egyptian. So no doubt he was fluent in the language. He had been trained in the best possible way that the Egyptians could train somebody. He was skilled in many ways, and now he has returned to make this demand. And that is exactly what he does, is he makes a demand. This chapter, as has several of the other chapters, kind of falls into three different little scenarios. They are fascinating and interesting in their own right, but they are also indicative of three things that are going to be recurring events through the remainder of the book. Um, There is going to be, I mean, we're going to encounter this again and again and again, the demand of God. That is the first segment, the demand of God. We are going to meet this again and again, the resistance of Pharaoh. And we are going to meet this again and again, the way that it works out in the lives of God's people. And I don't know whether to tell you to be encouraged or to be discouraged because we're thousands of years after the fact and the people of God are acting the same way as they did in the book of Exodus. 
So you can be encouraged that you're just as human as they were, or you can be discouraged that 3,500 years of history and we haven't progressed an inch. This is, folks, a contest. In fact, let me ask you, if you would, to turn quickly to chapter 12 for just a moment. The culmination of this little contest will be revealed in Exodus 13. Or, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover and the ultimate deliverance. Here's the way that God characterizes everything that has been going on since chapter 5 and verse number 1. God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And so, as has always been true, folks, there's a sense. We, we live here. We live in a visible world. We live in a world that we can see, that we can touch, that we can handle. We are periodically aware that there is an invisible world out there. But to God, that invisible world is as real as our visible world. And the great conflict that is raging there is raging here all around us, and we are involved in it whether we want to be or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we see it or not. So this is a contest between God and what God calls the gods of Egypt, and yet it's going to play out in the lives of human beings, just like it's playing out in your life. All right. So, back to Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here is one little scenario, and again, it is indicative. It's going to come up. We're going to see it repeated, especially as we work our way through the first, through the next, up to chapter 12. So, warm fuzzies in chapter 4, and then verse number 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in, told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Why, what's three days? Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works? Get you unto your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens." So, the first thing that we encounter here is the demand of God. And folks, this, it, is, it is totally human, and it is, I think, fascinating the way that Moses and Aaron handle this. Moses has access to Pharaoh. There is no discussion about um, family reunion Hey, stepdad, how you doing? Nice to see you, a long time. How you been? Yeah, I'm married now, got a couple of kids. They just burst onto the scene, and their language is totally prophetic. 
If you look at verse number one, folks. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. You don't find that kind of language in the first five books of the Bible very often. That's the way Isaiah talks. That's the way Elijah talks. That's the way Jeremiah talks. Those are the words of a prophet. In come Moses and Aaron. We don't know what they're thinking. I'm not saying that they're doing anything wrong. They are here. They have come with a message. They have a message from God. The message is, thus saith the Lord, let my people go because they need to hold a feast to me. I don't know what they expected. But what they got was stonewalled. Pharaoh didn't say, ooh, God said. Pharaoh said, God who? I don't know any God. Who is this God? I, I'm, not, I'm not letting anybody go. If you notice, folks, in verse number three, the tenor of their language changes drastically. Now, Moses and Aaron are answering the question. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't think anybody's really playing games here. But, I mean, who is the Lord? He is the God of the Hebrews. And Hebrews is a way that these people identified themselves to foreigners. Um, I grew up, of course, in the Detroit area. And we would periodically, if, and if you look at a map, because it's really kind of weird if you're not familiar with it, but when you live in Detroit, if you want to go to Canada, you have to go north. And so we would periodically get in our cars and we would go north and we would cross the bridge to go over into Windsor, Ontario. And we very quickly learned that you never told the Canadian border guards that you were Americans because they had a pat answer. So are we. This is North America. We're Americans. So you learned very quickly to say, we are citizens of the U.S. Or where are you from? We're from the United States. So, <clears throat> we are Hebrews, was the way that they distinguished themselves ethnically from other people. The God of the Hebrews, they said, hath met with us. They're telling him the absolute truth. But their tone has changed. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. No. Look, our God has met with us. And he has given us a command. And we're very much afraid of what he's going to do to us if we don't do it. Now, the reality was that God wasn't going to do anything to the Israelites, and he was going to do a lot to the Egyptians, but that will unfold later. We pray thee. They go in demanding. They pray. We're asking you nicely now. Will you please let us go? Now, Okay, folks, we've talked about that language, but understand something. God had said at the beginning, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. So it wouldn't have mattered if they'd have gone in and said, we beg you, can we go? No. God said we can go. It wouldn't have mattered how they said it. It wouldn't have mattered what their tone was. It wouldn't have mattered whether they had tears. God had already said, Pharaoh's not going to let you go because there's this cosmic contest that has to unfold. So... <clears throat> And by the way, all that Moses is doing here is he is going back and he is almost quoting Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 18 where God told Moses to do this. And so Moses isn't making any of this up. This is all legitimate and true. So 
Okay? So what do we, con- I mean, what do we as the people of God conclude from this? Okay, folks, here's our conclusion. God calls us to worship him in obedience in spite of the situation in the land. Now, we, we have, and, and I realize, okay, caveat, I realize that there is more to worship than just going to church. But folks, we are growing exponentially in the things that will remove us from a church service. And we need to understand something. God has called us to obediently worship him in spite of the circumstances in the land. We're in bondage. Yeah, I know. But you're going to come out and you're going to worship me. And that's more important to me than where you stand in the land. And this is going to be a recurring theme. I mean, a recurring theme is going to be that God gives an order. And God has a will. And whether God has a will for Pharaoh or a will for believers, God's will is not negotiable. We dealt with that extensively in chapter 4. Moses went through all these things. When he got to the end of it, nothing had changed. God wanted Moses to go. Moses was going. Verses 2 through 18 is another story in another another theme introduced that will be repeated through chapter 12. Okay? And these two things kind of interweave, so we're going to go back in verse number 2 and read down through verse number 18. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tail of the bricks, which they didn't make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle, which means lazy. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get ye straw where ye can find it, yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And demanded, Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as heretofore? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. 
Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet ye shall deliver the tale of bricks. Two things. One is Pharaoh's attitude. Pharaoh's attitude is twofold. You meet it, by the way, on a regular basis. Okay? Part of Pharaoh's attitude is developed in verse number two. Who is the Lord? I don't know any God. I don't recognize any God like that. All of us encounter it in people on a regular basis. The second attitude of Pharaoh's is developed in verses 4 and 5. The king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto their burdens? Behold, the people of the land are now many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. Not only does Pharaoh not recognize God, he doesn't care about God. He cares about the work. There's something for you Israelites to do, and it isn't worship. And by the way, there are archaeological inscriptions. There are hieroglyphic inscriptions of the Pharaoh releasing Egyptians from bondage to worship their gods. But he's not going to let the Israelites go. Those are his attitudes. And folks, that is an attitude of a growing number of people even in our own country. I don't know anything about God, and I don't care to know anything about God. I don't care who God is, and I don't care what God wants. I have something that I want. And that then shows up in the way he treats these people. <clears throat> the, Egyptian, the Israelites, as you know, were slaves. They were brickmakers. And they're really cool-looking little bricks. When we were in Egypt, I really wanted to steal one. But <clears throat> I resisted the temptation. But I thought that would really be a cool souvenir to have a couple of thousand-year-old handmade brick. So Pharaoh's position is, if you guys are interested in worship, you obviously got too much time on your hands. You need more to do. So he gives orders to the Egyptian leaders who are identified as the taskmasters. If you look at verse number 10, the taskmasters of the people went out. That's almost positively, and we know when it comes on down here a little bit further, we have this distinction. What you have is Pharaoh, and then underneath Pharaoh answering to Pharaoh, there are Egyptians, and then underneath them, there are Hebrew, what we would call foremen. So he gives orders to the Egyptian leaders who are the taskmasters and he gives orders to the Hebrew foremen who are the officers which says You're, we're not going to provide any more straw for you. You have to get your own straw and you have to make the same amount of bricks that you used to make. And so the people are scattered. We read there gathering stubble. They're not gathering straw. They're gathering literally whatever scraps of stuff they can find wherever they can find it and yet they're under the same burden to make the same amount of production. Now look, some of you know what this is like, right? I mean, companies cut back, that means there's more work done by less people, and so you, you know what that burden is like, 
And that was what the burden was like here, only for these people it wasn't economic, it was spiritual. It wasn't driven by a bad economy or a desire for profits. It was driven as a part of this great battle. And Pharaoh calls the people lazy. You're idle. You're not doing anything. You've got enough time to listen to empty heads. That's what he means in verse number 9. Let them not regard vain men or vain words. And his argument is that Moses and Aaron are stirring up these people and they're causing all kinds of disrupt, dis, or they're, they're disrupting the normal workflow and everything was moving along smoothly until you guys showed up and now you people are listening to them so you obviously got too much time in your hands, same amount of bricks, you have to gather your own straw and if they didn't, they are not fired, they are beaten. And so ultimately, the Hebrew foremen come and plead their case in verse 15. The officers of the children of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh. And they said, this is not right. What are, you, what are you doing to us? And Pharaoh said, you guys got too much time in your hands. And the, Egypt, the Israelites said, this is not our fault. This is you guys. And Pharaoh said, I don't care. So... <clears throat> Folks, the great cosmic conflict filters down into the everyday lives of God's people. It's not just the economy. <clears throat> and it's not just profits. And it's not just your boss doesn't like you. The hostility between God and Satan filters down to this world, and we live in it. Now, what is the response of these people? So, I mean, here we're going to encounter this. God is going to tell somebody to do something. Through, verse, through chapter 12, it's primarily going to be God telling Pharaoh to do something. And Pharaoh is going to be resisting. And as a result of that, the people of God are going to be suffering. Verse number 19. How do God's people respond? Well, again, I leave it to you. You can either despair or take heart. I think, I think that we ought to be distressed that we really don't respond much differently than they do. I love verse number 19. And the officers and the children of Israel did see that they were in an evil case after it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. Well, that's an understatement. They said, boy, this is bad. They left out of there, and they said, this is bad. 
Verse number 20, and they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. How did it go? How was that meeting with Pharaoh? Number 21, and they said unto them, the Lord look upon you and judge. Because ye have made our savor or our scent to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Oh, let the fun begin. The leaders go in now. These are the same people, okay? These are the people who back in chapter 4, verses 29 and 31, were going, we believe you, and we're bowing our heads to worship. This is good news. And now Pharaoh says, I want the same amount of bricks, and by the way, go find your own straw. And they said, we're not being treated fairly. And Pharaoh said, I want the same amount of bricks and go get your own straw. And the leader said, this is not a good thing. And there's Aaron and Moses standing there and they go, this is your fault. You got us into this mess. We stink. They did not say, praise the Lord for his faithfulness in every trial. You have loaded Pharaoh's gun, Moses. Verse number 22, Moses returns to the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? I take heart in this, folks. You know, sometimes we look back and we think that it was different then. It's no different then. You know what? You and me and Moses and these Israelites, they always were interpreting God's word in light of their immediate circumstances. Which, by the way, is why it's always a terrible idea. I have, I have many bad habits that I will not confess to you, but I will kind of sort of confess to you one. At 6.30 in the morning, the dingbat false prophet Paula White comes on television. And I periodically watch her, just for a minute, to see what kind of lunacy she's preaching today. And it's kind of a talk show thing. She brings on some equally, if not more, heretical guest and they discuss their heresy. And so she's got this guy on this morning and he's talking about the way that God talks to us in code. Oh, great. The Bible's a hard enough book for me as it is. Now I discover that it's a gigantic code. But you know, folks, we're not really, we're not really that far away from that. When, when we're always trying to interpret our lives by the immediate present circumstances and not by the word of God. I've got this problem. I'm trying to discern what God is trying to say to me. God has already said it to you. In the world you'll have tribulation. There, there, you, can't, you can go to parables and buy 25 different thousand Bibles, but there isn't anyone that you can buy that has the magic decoder ring in it. 
So here, I mean, look, folks, this is, this is human likeness 101. God told me to do something, and I go off and I tell the people, God told me to do something, and they said, great, we love you, we support you 100%, and everybody is happy and singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Now let's put it into action. It didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Maybe God didn't really mean for me to do that. Maybe it's the preacher's fault. This is humanity. And this is, this is not just a recurring theme in Exodus. This is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. And in all of one of our lives, we've got the word of God in our hands, which tells us certain things. And then we have circumstances. And we look at the circumstances and we go, maybe the Bible doesn't really say that. Maybe it didn't really mean that. Why did you send me here? When the reality was, folks, that God had told Moses, Pharaoh is not going to listen. So Moses should have been standing there saying, did he listen? No. Told you he wasn't going to listen. But he doesn't. <clears throat> and so the warm fuzzies of chapter 4 give way to the what... Um, <clears throat> John Bunyan called the slew of despair in Pilgrim's Progress. Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. As Abraham Lincoln said in the Civil War, the bottom is out of the tub. Pharaoh's out to get us and you won't help us. And folks, come on. We know in our heart of hearts that we have had that conversation with God. Everybody's out to get me, and you won't help me. So God not only ends up being resisted by Pharaoh, he ends up being resisted by his own people. All right, we will stop there. There is comfort coming in chapter 6, but that will be in July, because... <laughs> You'll be comfortless until July. Let's go ahead and stand. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May we stand firm upon it. May we understand that things will not necessarily go as quickly as we want them to or as smoothly as we want them to, but they will always go in your time and according to your word, and you will always be magnified in what you do. Give us that faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this evening. God bless you and good night.